I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac 12 gambling news with Sports Illustrated Gambling's Max Meyer, the exclusive home of Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model with Rob Bowron, and basically your, your resource for any Pac 12 news, particularly on the football front. This is Brian Cogger, your host, and uh, welcome, by the way, to all of our new Oregon fans. The podcast with Hithliday went really, really well. It was one of our most downloaded episodes. We are excited to have him on. And if you are just joining us, we're going to continue going through each team and doing a review of their season, uh, talk a little bit of recruiting and go through a lot of the play calling uh, issues or, or uh, celebrating some of the play calling for these Pac-12 teams. We're going to do that today with our friends at the Utah Man podcast, and they'll be coming on in a moment. You can follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio, uh, at 12PAC Radio. And again, you can subscribe to the podcast, any podcast catcher. But guys, I am so excited. I'm a man on fire today because the Todd Orlando hire as the defensive coordinator at USC is important for a couple of reasons. The first is Oregon seems to have been taking the driver's seat in terms of becoming a program that is the really the, the cream of the crop. Washington is right behind them in a USC a good USC in the Pac-12 is good for the conference. We really need uh, that third big name, a traditional power, a blue blood. And it seems like they have continued to just be okay with, with not necessarily mediocrity. They've been better than mediocre, but they haven't been really on board with excellence. You have um, Clay Helton coming back and this is what you get when you get somebody on the hot seat. It's more difficult to find a coordinator that's willing to, make a jump from a program that is uh, on the rise. But I thought the Todd Orlando pickup was an interesting one and we can go a lot of different directions here, but Max, I want to start with you as the USC alum. what do you think about the hire? You know, somebody that got fired from Texas for underperforming this last year with elite recruits and now he's at USC, but he has a pretty good track record, uh, you know, setting aside a couple of years in Texas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely noticed that quite, a few people on USC Twitter were bashing on the hire and I, I wouldn't go that far, but I guess I was in, I was indifferent toward it. Like he's definitely had his moments, but he's also bounced around and he has struggled some years. And, and specifically this past one uh, where he was defensive coordinator at Texas. Now, granted that defense did not have as high expectations heading into the season because they had talent, but they lost a lot of production the year before and Orlando's first two years at Texas, particularly his first one, were, were fine. Um, but I think with Helton being on the hot seat, I feel like the best case you could get for a defensive coordinator is someone who's done it in the past and proved that he could do a, a, a solid job, but also I think has something to prove. 
just because he was just fired by Texas. And he, he was a Texas Tech linebacker coach, which might have been even longer than uh, Cliff Kingsbury's stint uh, as USC's offensive coordinator. But <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, I, I just think that he has something to prove with this job. And this could be a springboard kind of like for Graham Peril this past season just because he's still thrown into the spotlight. And USC does have a lot of defensive talent that's returning. So we'll see. Uh, like like um, I was saying, Orlando's usually had uh, good success in his first year with a program, which <laughs> ironically, Clancy Pendergast is, is the same way. But I'm like I I'm I, I'm indifferent toward the hire, which I which I guess is how I feel regarding the end of the Clay Helton era as well. One of the features that we're writing at sharpcollegefootball.com, and this was one of our um, more popular pieces, is we're going through each defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator, particularly the new hires, and going through their advanced statistics from both BetaRank and SMP Plus, and basically walking through how they were able to put together defenses or offenses, and we're only focusing on their play calling duties, and we're only going back about 10 years because... I think before 10 years, you have a whole different uh, type of football being played. And one of the things, Rob, that was interesting for me was that Beta Rank tended to like uh, these Todd Orlando defenses a little bit better than S&P Plus. And uh, I, I, too, Max, was seeing a lot of people rip this higher. But this is a guy that has more. He's coached more five top 25 defenses. And one of the things that's been really strong about his defenses at every stop he's been, basically except one year at Florida International, is the ability to stop the run. When we take a look at some of the talent that's returning to USC, um, I, I think it's pretty interesting to see what he's going to be able to do when he has like Jay Tufele and Drake Jackson, you know, Marla, uh, was it uh, Marlon uh, uh, that That's some really good talent that he can work with, Rob. I, what did you think about the hire? Because I know, I know Baderank has a lot of stuff to say about his performance. <laughs> I mean, so I, I thought the hire was fine. I think it's an improvement over Clancy Pendergast. Um, I think that, I mean, where, if you're looking at where beta rank and S and P plus diverge and that S and P plus is a, is a yards based model built on yards for play, um, for the most part and play success. And those Texas teams, they graded out a little worse on yards per play, but what they graded out quite well on is not giving up points. Um, I mean, you don't actually win the game if you have the most yards. You win the game if you have the most points. <laughs> so Beta Rank had uh, that 2017 team at number six, uh, and a, just an excellent defense. Um, that was Orlando's first year. His second year, they fell off a little bit. They did lose some production, um, but they dropped to 26th overall. Um, and then last year, they were at 40. Uh, I'm at 45. One of the things this past year that we, we, I personally, even though defense is less correlated with returning production um, than offenses, uh, Texas lost in the same way that USC did coming to this year, lost nearly everyone off of their defense from last year or the year before. So they, uh, I expected them to be worse. I didn't expect them to fall all the way to 45. Um, that was a little disturbing, but what you do see, there are some positives here. I mean, like they were, they were number three in, in drive efficiency. Um, so they did find ways to get off the field. What they really stunk at was explosive drives this last year. Um, they were number 50 in, in explosive drives. They gave up a lot of yards for play number 75 there. Um, and they didn't get, they didn't really cause enough negative drives. I mean, and they, they ranked number uh, 92 there. I mean, those are all things that he's going to really have to work on, you know, trying to get more three and outs, trying to get off the field, trying to limit 
yards per play and explosive drives. But this USC defense was going to be project to be better, even if Clancy Pendergast was retained, um, simply because of everyone that they're bringing back and that, that they had so little experience last year. Um, if Todd Orlando, I mean, if, if you're a USC fan, if you could get anything close to his first year in Texas, I mean, even if you get a top 20 defense out of Todd Orlando, I think you're jumping for joy because they also return a decent amount on offense and they return Graham Harrell. One of the things that stood out for me was uh, it, you know, we mentioned his ability to stop the run. The passing defense has always been a bit secondary uh, in almost all of his his defenses and oftentimes not by a ton, you know, it's like 20 spots between uh, the rushing defense and then usually the passing defense is 10 or 20 spots below. Uh, But like Rob just mentioned, Max USC returns a really interesting secondary. One of the things that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast at the beginning of the year was, Holy crap. What is this USC secondary going to be? Because it is flooded with five-star high level talent, but they just haven't seen the field before. Well, now they have a year in the system and I'm just curious what you think. Yeah, and I think the the big game breaker in that secondary was a uh, safety Tanoa Vanga, who unfortunately uh, suffered a, a couple injuries throughout the season. And uh, USC secondary definitely struggled when he wasn't there, but he was just someone who could range from sideline to sideline, and and he was he just made impacts on a lot of play. Or he just made an impact on a lot of plays. And so yeah, between uh, Hufanga and, and Drake Jackson. Uh, freshman defensive lineman who I would say besides um, Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau, I I thought that he was the freshman uh, that had the uh, most impact on the conference in year one. So yeah, no, there's definitely a ton of talent returning and I'm looking forward to see if the, if this new coordinator can hone it all in and, you know, (laughs) bring out a product that is at least uh, decent because with Pendergast, uh, especially this past season, it just felt like every third down and especially the third and longs USC would look lost on the field. And so ho- hopefully a, a change in direction there will lead to some improvement for USC on that side of the football. I read John Wilner's article um, on the hire and he seemed much more down because you have a, a defensive coordinator. Well, the first is he was just using S and P plus. So he was kind of basing his, uh, no, no, he wasn't even doing adjust. Like, so S and P plus his opponent adjusted. He was just looking at straight up raw yards per play. Oh, and, and remind us why that's, why that's bad, Rob. Well, if you're not adjusting for opponent, I mean, Texas plays Oklahoma at least once a year, Oklahoma state, there's some good offenses in the big 12. I don't know if you've heard. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're, if you're not at least jet, like, um, grading that that yards per play against who they actually played, then you're you're like it's it becomes a little bit of a it's not it's not an unimportant stat, but I mean on its own like raw yards per play isn't everything. Yeah, the other thing he brought up was Orlando hasn't been able to do this at a Power Five conference before. But again, his 2017 defense was elite. Beta rank finished top. It was top six in Beta rank. It was top 15 S and P plus. Um, even his 2018 defense, like you mentioned, was 26th in beta rank. Um, but but when it's when you go down to what he was able to do at Utah State again. I mean, the fact that he put together the number two rushing defense in the country, and that's both beta rank and S&P Plus at Utah yeah. freaking State. That is that is impressive. And then he followed that up, even losing production with another top type uh, 25 defense uh, on stopping the run on that front and a, uh, a top 25 defense period in his second year at Utah State before he got swooped up uh, to coach. Ed Oliver in Houston, by the way. I don't know. I I don't buy the 
this guy hasn't done it at a Power 5 conference because he did <laughs> for two years and then was able to do things that most defensive coordinators, period, wouldn't be able to do with the talent that he had at Utah State. I, I don't know, Max. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree. I mean, so and, and like and like we were saying, like with Helton on the hot seat, like we weren't realistically expecting a, a grand slam hire for defensive coordinator like uh, like what Oregon with Cristobal did with Joe Moorhead with, with offensive coordinator. I think that that was too unrealistic. But given the circumstances, I, I, I thought it was fine. One actually two more resources to highlight uh, our friends at Raina Troy, uh, the Raina Troy podcast, which is excellent. They went back and forth. I just listened to it before I, we started recording. They went back and forth on this hire and it, it was quite, I, I appreciated it. But a, both those guys know what they're doing, uh, but B they're just so passionate about the hires and the program there. So it was, it was quite humorous to hear them go back and forth on it. They do it for about 20 minutes. So if you want more USD content, you want more on this hire, definitely check out that podcast. And they wrote an excellent article going into, Todd Orlando's history. Uh, they didn't get as much into the advanced statistics like we do on our on our site, but um, it, it also highlighted some of the players that have gone through his programs and whatnot. So two really good resources on that front. Uh, guys, we have a guest coming on in about five minutes, but we can't not talk about Marcel Yates getting hired at Cal. <laughs> <laughs> and Max, you had mentioned before we started the podcast, uh, Gerald A. Alexander leaving as the secondary coach at Cal and jumping to the NFL is a really big deal for that program. Absolutely. Uh, he was one of the better assistant coaches in the conference. And I mean, just looking at what Cal's secondary has done the past two seasons. And, and I know Justin Wilcox, uh, he was a former safety back in his playing days. And but Alexander, I, I just feel like took that group to a whole different level. And now he's swooped by the Dolphins. And it's it's good to see that um, NFL is recognizing uh, a young and upcoming coach uh, in the Pac-12. And I, I know Marcel Yates obviously has Pac-12 experience at, 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 as a defensive coordinator, but man, it, it just feels like a big, big loss for Cal um, with that coaching staff. One minor note to add to this, and actually for the Cal program, a big note, they also lost their offensive line coach, Steve Greatwood, who retired, and that guy was awesome. So ask any Oregon fan how good he was, and they will tell you, and he pieced together uh, an offensive line for the last couple of years out of duct tape and chicken wire and did an excellent job. But Rob, that, that is neither here nor there. Uh, Marcel Yates, we're Arizona alums. Uh, we've had to watch him coach a secondary and not do it very well. What do you think? So, I mean, I think so Marcel Yates and Justin Wilcox go way back to their Boise days. He actually coached uh, secondary for Wilcox at Boise when Wilcox was the defensive coordinator. So there's some familiarity there. I think some Cal fans have and some of the stuff, the reactions that I've seen on the web have been a, a little more flattering about Marcel Yates than I would be as uh, um, I mean, so Marcel Yates coached safeties and safety Arizona safeties just stunk this year in coverage. They, they struggled to pick up, um, you know, like they struggled to pick up almost any routes, but it was, it was the, his, the position that he coached was, possibly the I mean, other than the defensive line was about the worst coached unit on the team. Um, and his, his reputation as a recruiter, I think Cal fans are overselling that a bit too. I mean, he wasn't really an ace recruiter at Arizona. Um, it's not to say that I think, I mean, like Charlie Regal went to, to Cal and I think he recruits better at Cal than he did at Arizona. Um, but I, I do, I think it's, it's, it's an all right hire. It's Wilcox. I mean, he's obviously comfortable with Yates. Yates, 
seems like a guy that is going to do better as a position coach um, after what we saw of him as a DC. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's in that sense, it's a positive move for Yates. And I also would say like, with Wilcox, the head coach, having such a you know strong hand on the defense, and Tim DeRoyter there, Marcel Yates is not going to be you know, I mean he could he could he could still do some damage, but he's 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 going to be learning from you know and having some guys with a pretty strong hand at the wheel around him. It's just such a bummer because I think we all had Cal as an up-and-coming program and one of the dark horses next year. And you see two major position coaches losing, uh, leaving the program. And it'll be interesting to see where they pick up. Uh, I still think that they could be in a solid position here. But before we move on... Well, there, gonna... <laughs> did, did, I can't remember the guy's name, but that guy that they hired to replace their offensive, uh, their offensive line coach, he's got a great reputation as a recruiter. And that is matched by a, a pretty mediocre reputation as an actual position coach. So I'm really interested to see what Cal looks like on the actual field next season. Because as we've seen with USC and Stanford and um, other schools, like having a really good line coach matters a ton uh, on both sides. No, absolutely. Um, we're going to bring on the Utah Man podcast right now. I know we have a lot of Utah fans that listen to this podcast and probably some new uh, guests that are going to jump on. So really excited about that before. First, want to mention that we are sponsored by The Athletic and really excited about that. You know, it's it's great to receive sponsorships from, you know, whomever and we'll, we'll take the money. Um, but it's awesome to be able to be sponsored by an excellent publication. And one of the things that we talked about last year or last podcast was all the college football coverage they do. But one of the things I always forget is that a lot of our listeners love the, you know, Major League Baseball and the NBA and the NFL. And the type of talent that the Athletic has been able to hire is just uh, amazing. It's it's really impressive. You have Ken Rosenthal for Major League Baseball. You have David Aldridge for the NBA, Jake Glazer, Ma- Michael Lombardi, Lindsey Jones at the NFL. And of course, we have Stu Mandel, Bruce Feldman, Nicole Auerbach, Faux Pelini, just a lot of really fun and, and smart pieces being written by the athletic no clickbait it's these are stories with substance it's a resource that we use for our preseason coverage because uh they look at football the way that we like to look at football which is like real in-depth coverage and the x's and o's and the talent evaluation on that front so um if you haven't been a part of the athletic before you can get 40 percent 40 percent off a yearly subscription if you go to the athletic.com slash overtime that's athletic.com slash overtime um totally worth the subscription go out and read it it's worth it take advantage of that 40 percent off because uh football and college basketball season continue to roll on even though it's the off off season for college football it's uh it's actually one of my favorite times because i'm starting to collect all this information so i can make my futures bets so uh definitely tune in and it's athletic.com slash overtime all right without further ado we have the host of one of my favorite podcasts, which is the Utah Man podcast, and we started listening to them, my goodness, probably five years ago. I, one of the things that I always highlight is our podcasts, uh, Wildcat Radio and the Utah Man podcast, basically started at the same time. We use the same hosting uh, stuff. We covered the same same content, but for different teams. And you guys have really just taken off. And it's a pleasure to have Cam Livingston on this podcast to talk Utah football because, holy Moses, there's a lot to talk about. What's going on, Cam? Hey, man, you know, not a whole lot. Still trying to figure out what happened to the Utes in 2019. It was up and down, but heck, let's jump into it. Yeah, I mean, my first question is basically along those lines, which is this, and we've been talking about Utah on this podcast all year. Um, I had them pegged as one of the teams that could win the Pac-12 South. I think 
I would say probably 40% of our listeners are Utah fans, maybe 30, but like, you know, we have, we have a pretty big contingent contingency of Utah fans on here. And we all on this podcast kind of thought this was the year this was, you know, shoot your shot, Utah, because you have a great team, great recruiting, great coaching, and just so close to breaking through. But it seemed like when Utah played the teams that had just better talent on the field, uh, they couldn't crack that code. So whether it was USC, although that was an interesting game, I, I almost see that as an anomaly, but um, basically getting waxed by Oregon and then waxed by Texas. Those are two teams that have elite talent. How did Utah fans take this season in general? It, you know, it was a successful season, but not quite the expectations that I think everyone had. Yeah, I think that you're dead on right there. It didn't meet the expectations that I think a lot of people had. And especially, I mean, when we're what, like week nine through 12, and Utah is getting a lot of love nationally about being a dark horse for a playoff spot. And things were really falling, falling into, into, you know, the correct ways for Utah to make a playoff. Um, you know, Utah fans, and I know the players, the coaches, they, they really had high expectations uh, because of all those dominoes falling right into place. And, you know, as you said, you know, they, they went up against a very, very talented Oregon team uh, that in their own right is a playoff team. You know, if they, if they kind of took care of business, um, they're, they're a playoff team. Uh, so that being said, it, it was really uh, up and down. I know it, the season ended with a bad taste in Utah's fans' mouths. Um, as much as, as fun and success as, as the team had all season long, those last two games really, they, they were just just kind of a dagger in the hearts of all Utah fans. Let me just uh, speak on to that because Cam, I, th- I think that uh, it's interesting to hear your perspective, but I guess on the podcast, um, what we really noticed were the first cracks was the Washington game because yeah. I know Rob and I and Brian, we were all surprised that Utah, I mean, Utah's offensive line had questions coming into the season. But to see that defensive line getting worked by Washington's offensive line at the beginning of the game, that was certainly alarming. And Utah ended up coming back into, and winning the game. But that's when I realized that Utah was a lot more vulnerable in the trenches than I had originally thought, especially against top-tier talent. And it was part of the reason why um, with the Pac-12 championship game, that I, I, I didn't pick Utah, or I didn't pick Oregon to win outright, but I, I did think Oregon was going to cover the spread. And I just thought that Utah was beating up on too many bad teams. And I thought that if Oregon's offensive line could win the battle against Utah's defensive line uh, and vice versa with Oregon's defensive line against Utah's offensive line, that that it would be a really close game. And and instead, uh, Oregon just kind of wiped the floor with them. It it was surprising to see. Um, But now I I guess with the bigger picture, uh, one coordinator hire that we really, really liked heading into the season was Andy Ludwig, who was at Utah before with Kyle Winningham, and now this is the um, round to the sequel. And overall, I I thought he did a really solid job. Uh, There were some slow starts in games for Utah, for sure, but how would you uh, summarize his his year one performance? Andy Ludwig, I think, came in and actually did a really good job. Um, You know, I think... Last year, under Troy Taylor, they were about 380 yards. This year, they upped it up to about 420 yards per game. Um, so their offense was um, significantly better um, than what it has been. Um, 
but, but to your points about, you know, kind of those things that happened in the Oregon game, and you mentioned the Washington game, you know, we were noticing issues with the O-line from the beginning of the season. Um, you know, third down and short down on short ones, like if it was third and two or a fourth and one, Utah really struggled. And Andy Ludwig, you know, I think knew going into the season and into the games that offensive line was going to be an issue for him. On those short yard downs, they never ran a quarterback sneak all year. Uh, they just always tried to power it up uh, right up the gut they, or try to kind of do one of those read options, zone reads, try to bounce something to the outside. Um, and I, I think those little things all season long, like the offensive line, not really be able to control the line of scrimmage. I, I think that kind of happened all season long, but they were able to cover it up. And I think Andy Ludwood did a really good job at covering up at times, uh, whether it be uh, bringing in a, a fly sweep or getting the tight end and, and the running game, um, trying to do some, some different things to mix it up, try to kind of hide the offensive line as much as possible. Uh, but in that Oregon game, uh, they just, they, they couldn't do it. Oregon was just, just too good. Uh, they they were just too fast. They're just too dominant, really, in the trenches uh, for Andy to, to really cover that up. Um, and, and in that game was really, I think, Andy, uh, I think a lot of Utah fans felt that he was very creative all season long with the offense, different packages, different motions before the snap. And, and really, in that Oregon game, they, they looked very vanilla. Uh, Oregon really put them out of their element um, and I know something that I think Utah, Utah fans are going to expect um, Andy Ludwig to really to build on and, and get better as an OC. Yeah, I, and we had talked, I mean, Bryant and I, and uh, I believe when we had previewed this season, you know, like I'd, I'd been watching Utah's this season for Utah for two years um, with the amount of returning production they were going to bring back this year. I thought Ludwig did pretty well. I mean, the, he, he graded out at number 22 in beta rank for offense, which for Utah is like a seismic step forward <laughs> from from where they've been in some years past. Um, but you guys hit on it. I mean, one of the things like when, when Pro Football Focus put out their offensive line grades, um, Utah graded out somewhere in the 70s, which was at, at, the, at the at the time I first saw it, I thought, Oh, that's that's harsh. But like the more I thought about the problems that we'd even highlighted on the podcast, I thought Ludwig did a, a very good job um, sort of covering it up. I mean, he has some elements of flex bone in the offense. They really try to, you know, bounce it outside uh, pretty often uh, to flankers, you know, handing off the football. Um, but like when you look at Utah's returning production this year, They've got a lot of this line comes back. I think they only really look, it looks like they're losing their left tackle, your left tackle. Is that a, I mean, normally any kind of returning production is a positive, um, but how confident do you feel about this line, um, you know, coming into this year? Because Ludwig's not going to have senior quarterback, senior running back to, to lean on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, having Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss in the backfield, uh, great weapons to kind of hide that offensive line. Um, I, I don't think Huntley got an, enough credit uh, yeah. for for having to make up for that. Uh, that being said, so yeah, so they only lose one offensive line. Uh, Darren Paulo, uh, he was the only senior. So, I mean, it's great you only lose one guy off the starting lineup, but it's bad that he was their best one and really their only one. 
that got any sort of recognition um, from the conference at the end of the year. Uh, so moving forward, I, I think it's still, I think it's still going to kind of be kind of like that ugly stepchild, you know, that you just want to put in the corner, not talk about. Uh, a lot of guys, they're young. I mean, they started a lot of freshmen, some, some sophomores. Um, so having a year under the belt can help. Um, and I really think uh, with offensive line, uh, you need reps. I think that I think that's one position group uh, and one position where you need reps to get better and and really to play as a one unit and be that cohesive unit. Um, something I think a team like Oregon has has benefited uh, that we saw this past year with with their experience and and, and playing together. Uh, so moving forward, I, I think even looking at next year, I think it's still going to be a, a very big question mark. Um, and, you know, Utah's, they, they they need to figure it out, right? Because offense, the offense has been kind of bad for Utah since joining the Pac-12. I mean, let's just call spade a spade. They've been known as a defensive team. And mm-hmm. next year, their, their defense is going to be brand new. And so they're going to have to rely on an offense to help out a, a young defense and so it's going to come down to the trenches. It it, it it will be interesting to see what they do with the offensive line next year. Uh, one player who really emerged for Utah's offense down the stretch was tight end Brant Keithy. And I, I, I'm just curious why, uh, why Utah didn't consistently unleash him at the beginning of the season compared to the toward stretch that he went on at the end of the year. And what do you, why do you think that he was able to make such an impact on the offense overall? So Brant Keithy, yeah, he, he's he's a star in the making. Um, he's just a sophomore this past year. Um, I, I think what really uh, why why it took so long is they have another tight end in Cole Fotheringham, uh, who they're they're really high on. Um, and I think towards the beginning of the season, they were trying to to plug Fotheringham more. Um, in that tight end spot, um, and move and, and kind of use um, Brandt more as like an H back at times. Um, but you know, uh, over the course of the season, um, Brandt really was the offense in a lot of aspects. When every teams were stacking the box, slowly selling out for Zach Moss, uh, Brandt Keithy really kept Utah in, in the game offensively. Um, he's 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 a tremendous talent. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, he played running back in high school. So he, he, he does have, you know, kind of those skill position, um, talents. Uh, he's just, he's, he's bulked up. So they moved him out to tight end where, where he was needed. Uh, and then if you saw towards the end of the season, yeah, they're running five sweeps with him. Uh, they were, you know, having pass plays designed just for him. Um, and I think, uh, team started figuring that out. Uh, I think co- starting with the Colorado game, uh, Colorado started keying in on him, um, and then Oregon did a great job at really taking him out. And going, you know, going back to Andy Ludwig, I just I don't know if they were prepared for teams to start doing that. And they didn't have a plan B to go to go after once once Keithy was taken out of the game by the defense. Yeah, and I mean this this is an interesting uh, Ludwig because Ludwig's been he doesn't. He, he often comes off as a guy that runs the football more from his time when he was around Utah the first time uh, from his time in Wisconsin, but his time at Vanderbilt was, those were past dominated offenses. Uh, 
I'm interested because let's uh, let's jump to the quarterback. <laughs> um, the position everyone wants to talk about, but Utah's got uh, some interesting. Tra- I mean, some two interesting transfers uh, to talk about, and a lot of folks, I think, including um, um, oh Max Brown. Max Brown, thank you. Um, he was tweeting out that he thought it was going to be the recent South Carolina transfer, Jake Bentley, um, based on tape. You've also got Cam Rising uh, transferred in from Texas, um, and he's been there a year already. And then there's Drew Lisk, who I, uh, having seen in limited action, I don't know. I'm, I was not sold on Drew Lisk in limited action. We'll see in the spring, right? But yeah. yeah. Um, you look at those guys and you think, oh, like those are some highly touted. Uh, I mean, drop. I mean, mostly drop back passers. Um, you know, guys with big arms. I mean, particularly Bentley. You know, you're losing Zach Moss. You have some uncertainty behind the line. Um, you know, you have a decent tight end. I mean, there's. I guess when you look at it, like, can can Utah? You know, like, I mean, at one. I mean. Do you have a sense of, you know, if you were going to put your money, who would it be? Um, but two, like, I mean, you have to feel pretty good if you're Utah for, you know, maybe the first time in a long time that you've got like, you know, three really good options there. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the, that's the biggest thing Utah fans are excited about is this is the most talent, talented quarterback room that I think Utah has ever had. Uh, you know, Cam Rising and, and Jake Bentley. I think they were both four-star recruits coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and Utah's never had two four-star quarterbacks, um, period. And so, you know, they're excited about that. Um, so let's just start at the top. So Drew Lisk, he, he's a, a former walk-on. He, he just barely earned a scholarship. Um, I, I don't expect him to get playing time next year um, with Cam Rising and Bentley in there. And really, I I don't I don't know what to expect. Um, it, it will be interesting to kind of see where this coaching staff, if if they want to start playing for the future and and start rising. Um, so rising was in the program, um, as you said, Rob. Uh, last year he sat out because of transfer rules. Uh, he played at Texas his freshman year, so he has three years to play, and and got to see quite a bit of him in in spring ball and. You know, very, very impressed with just his mechanics, uh, how he how he throws. He, he probably was the best thrower on the team last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bentley coming in, it, it kind of throws a wrench into, I think, what every, every Utah fan thought was going to be the future next year with Rising. Uh, I, as, as far as I know, it's, it's, it's going to be, um, you know, the, the best player will play. Uh, I know Utah does not promise playing time to, to players that are coming into the program. They have to earn it. Um, so it will come down to those two, uh, and it will be a very interesting spring and fall camp. We had opened up the Twitter account to basically say, hey, if you have any questions for Utah Man Podcast, and I know that you would responded to this uh, uh person because uh, he's also a listener to the utah man podcast but um i wanted to make sure we got an answer for our listeners so the utah man in the atl uh tweeted what is the story behind peyton powell the baylor transfer to quarterback um what ended up having him go to rutgers instead of utah at the 11th hour and then so max go ahead and ask your question after um after cam kind of addresses this real quickly because i think it's a pretty quick answer right so, so, yeah, Utah was, was looking to bring in another transfer quarterback out of Baylor, uh, Peyton Powell. 
uh, he was he was all in on, on Utah um, for for several months, and then really just came down. Uh, Rutgers getting a new coaching staff, and they had a very established relationship uh, with Peyton from when he was in high school, um, and, and that's what really just swung him um, towards Rutgers. It wasn't anything uh, that Utah did negatively. Um, or Utah pushed him out or didn't want him, anything like that. It really just came down to he had prior um, uh, relationships that that were just super strong. Yeah, that's fair enough. And and there's some talent there, too, at Utah. So, you know, it's it's nice to – this is why you go out and cast a wide net. You know, you never know. <laughs> so switching gears to the other side of the ball, I mean, Utah just loses so much star power. And, and it's really like at every single position group. Like at end, you have Bradley and A. Uh, tackle like he to linebacker Francis Bernard cornerback Jalen Johnson and safety Julian Blackman that's a, that's a murderer's row pretty much uh, so going into the offseason which group are you most confident uh, for uh, toward regarding uh, next season and which group do you are, are you do you have the most question marks about so as far as the confidence level, I'm going to say none of them. <laughs> and they, I, what, what you said, they're, they're replacing the whole defense. Only two starters are coming back. Uh, Devin Lloyd, uh, linebacker, and Mika Tafua or Matt Stupai um, on the end. They kind of started, they kind of switched off starting. Um, so you're really only bringing back two starters. And I, yeah, they, they were deep. Um, at defense, um, but I think in, in the Texas game, it kind of showed when they went to a, a third-string safety uh, a transfer Newell, uh, Sewell from Nevada, and that was just a big drop-off uh, from from Julian Blackman and R.J. Hu- uh, Hubert. Uh, so it, it, I think the whole defense is actually going to be a big question mark. Um, that was a big emphasis uh, in recruiting the, this this offseason. You know, they've gone out and they, and they signed the highest rated recruit they've ever signed in program history in Clark Phillips the third. Uh, he was an Ohio State uh, prospect that that Utah was able to flip. He's a cornerback uh, out of Southern California. I, he's going to be starting. Um, I, I'm pretty confident in saying that that they'll be starting a true freshman at corner. Uh, they'll probably be starting a true freshman in safety uh, as as well, um, kind of a local kid here. So it, it really, as much as Utah prides itself on defense, uh, this next year it could be a big learning curve and, and really shows what this coaching staff is made of uh, as far as are they rebuilding, a complete rebuild, or can they do some reloading? I mean, I, I expect there's going to be a, I mean, they've graded out at number 13 in beta rank. This is Scaly's best defense that beta ranks graded at, at, uh, at Utah. Um, you know, just terrific talent. And um, Ane just had a heck of a senior bowl. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Th- I think he had three sacks. <laughs> yeah. He was everywhere. Um, I think that uh, when you, you're, you're right, that there's, there's going to be a big loss of production. I, I mean, I, I expect Utah is going to take a step back. I could see them even falling at, at points in the season into the forties in, in beta rank, you know, early on. However, I expect them to close strong because I think the experience is going to pay out and they do have some talented guys and, and good coaches there. Um, 
you know, so I don't expect it to be like a, an immense fall off to where they're like grading out in the 50s or something like that. But uh, I am excited to see, like, as you mentioned, some of those young guys, if Utah goes with, uh, I, I hope that they rotate them in early, get them a lot of experience because you could potentially be sitting on a very good defense as early as next year with guys that have plenty of eligibility left. Um, but is there, I guess, like a, a I mean, like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to flip this back to the quarterback question too. <laughs> like if, the, if the defense is that bad, like, and I, I say this, like, and I watched Arizona play Khalil Tate this season. And I was like, why are we doing this? Like, we're not good. Like, let's just play Grant Canal. Like, come on. Like all of these snaps are really in reality, 20, 20 snaps. Like, come on. Um, if the defense really is like, and I think there will be some struggles, you know, like is, does Jake, I mean, Jake Bentley feels like a, a play by Utah to say like, Hey, like we really do want to like, we're not, we don't want to miss bold eligibility, even as we might have to rebuild with all of this production gone. Um, but at the same time, like if this, if it gets rough, right? Like, you can't actually play Bentley all like you can't you can't be Chip Kelly and playing that Michigan transfer all season. You know, like when you're not even gonna make a bowl. Um I, I'm like what are Utah fans' expectations? Cause like I was I was ticked that we were that Arizona was playing Khalil Tate on all those essentially like meaningless snaps. Um like how do Utah fans feel? Because I like I don't know that uh, it's it is and I say this like having seen a lot of fan bases as we've covered the Pac-12, it's hard to adjust your expectations. Like it's it's hard to really um you know, as a roster matures, like Utah's has, like it's it's hard to adjust your expectations down for the next year when a lot of guys leave. Oh, yeah. Well, I think with that point, I think there's a lot of Utah fans that think starting next year, kicking off 2020, Utah is going to be a favorite to win the South. And I, I just I don't Whoa. see that happening on paper. <laughs> well, you know, when you have USC uh, with, with the talent they're bringing back and Arizona State, uh, you know, what they were able to do last year and, and bring back a lot of that talent, um, it, I think it's going to be hard for Utah to get back up to that level. Um, and, and I agree. I think, you know, if Bentley does win the job at, at a fall camp and and during the course of the season, things start going south, you know, maybe you do make a, a case to, to play rising in there just to get those reps, get that experience. Um, it, it's really going to be interesting. I, I honestly, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I, I wish I did. I don't even know if the coaching staff knows what they're going to do. You know, a couple of seasons ago, before Huntley was a starter, they had Troy Williams, who started the year before. Uh, I believe they won nine games with him. It was one of their best seasons since they got into the Pac-12. They had Cooper Bateman, who transferred from Alabama into the program as a quarterback. And the whole headline was that Williams and Bateman were going to be competing for the starting job. And, you know, out of nowhere, Tyler Huntley yeah. was named the starter right before the season started. And no one saw that one coming. Um and, and obviously that was uh, a, a different OC at the time. Uh, so, it, you know, I, it, it will be interesting. I just, I know fans want an answer. Heck, I want an answer um, just to start <laughs> preparing to know who, who's going to be the guy. Uh, but honestly, I, I don't even think the coaching staff knows at this point. Yeah. 
Hey, I want I want to stick with the offense because I have one more question on that front because we focus so much on Zach Moss because that man was a monster and it was a privilege to watch him play for so many years at Utah. He was amazing. He did everything. He was one of the best backs in his, his time in the Pac-12 in the conference, and he's gone. But we did see a little bit of play from the backup uh, running backs, and obviously Utah has always focused on the run and always had that premier back. So what do some of the backups uh, bring to the Utes now that they're going to be really the guys coming into 2020? Yeah, so the backfield um, that that kind of helped shoulder some of the load for Moss to Henry, um, DeMonte Henry Cole, uh, Brownfield and, and Jordan Wilmore, true freshman. Uh, you know, it, it, I think I think Devonta Henry Cole and Brumfield are a lot like a Moss, where they're kind of a, a power power rushers. You could say they're not maybe not the fastest guys on, on the field, um, but they they can run over guys. Uh, Jordan Wilmore is more of that finesse, speed um, kind of back. He was a true freshman last year. Um, I, I think going forward, it will be a running back by committee. Um, I don't know if one of them has really stood out um, over the course of the season uh, on who would you know kind of take the reins from Moss. Um, but that's hard to do, right? And, and Moss, you know, running for over 1,400 yards and, and the rest of them, you know, barely got around 200 each. Uh, so there's not really a big body of work. Uh, for those three on who will be kind of the starter for next season. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they go into the season and kind of continue kind of kind of this running back by committee. So Britton Covey heading into the season was supposed to be the, the top wide out for Utah and then decided to transfer, not tra- a red shirt. Uh, what was uh, behind his dis- uh, decision uh, for that? And where, what do you see for his Utah future going forward? Uh, so what happened with, with Britain is, if you remember, in the 2018 um, Pac-12 championship game against Washington, he tore his ACL. Um, and so he, the offseason of 18 before 19, he had surgery uh, to, to fix that knee. And so he missed quite a bit of the offseason um, rehabbing. Uh, and it wasn't until fall camp that he actually started um, to play football again. And he just, he never really uh, got the mobility back. And, and what really makes him great and what makes him Britain is, is, his, is his shiftiness, right? Well, let, let's um, just say, Cam, it's his balls. Like that, because he's got balls. <laughs> <laughs> and his shiftiness, is, but my goodness. He's the Wes Welker of Pac 12 football. Like that dude goes <laughs> over the middle and takes hits. <laughs> It's true, and you know he's listed at five eight. He's not. He's like five six, five seven, um, and it just so just having that lateral movement with his knee, he just didn't have it. Um, and so after four games, uh, they decided to, to to shut it down, uh, let him rest for for a couple weeks, and kind of kind of retest it. Um, and it just it just turned out that he just it just wasn't ever a good time to bring him back. Uh, so going into into 2020, I think that's another big question mark: is is he going to be able to to be that Brent Covey that we saw, you know, his freshman year uh, before he went on an LDS mission? Uh, so it's, it's been some time since he really was in that in that you know true form of himself. Um, so 
this offseason, I think, is going to be really big for him um, and, and to see what he can do starting in starting spring. Where did he go on his LDS mission? Because I could see him, you know, like in Papua New Guinea with a machete, just like, you know, slicing <laughs> through the forest or whatever. <laughs> He it was South America. I want to say Argentina. Oh, close enough. In, in the mountains, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I digress. <laughs> so the uh, it is interesting when you look though, because if you have Keithy and and Cubby there, like you as as a QB, like you have to feel pretty good, and you might actually be able to do something with the passing game. But if you look at the outside wide receivers, the numbers get pretty sparse as far as receptions that are coming back. Is there is there any feeling that any of these guys, you know, are might be able to step forward? I mean, they lose um, you lose Simpkins, who who had quite a few receptions, thirty two receptions. But you know, like after that, it just you know is 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 Samson Nakua gonna break? I mean, some of these guys like Solomon Enos, like were were reasonably heralded coming in. He had no Kale year last year. I mean, is there is there somebody that can kind of step in and be a an, an outside threat? Because with Keithy and Covey, like you're going to have the defense focused on that middle of the field. Yeah, and so I think, um, but before we dive into that, you, I mean, you also have to remember when you look at Utah's wide receiver numbers, Utah doesn't throw the ball a heck of a lot, right? Yeah, uh, I they're throwing it, you know, sixteen to nineteen times a game. Um, that being said, Brian Thompson. Uh, really emerged this season as a deep threat for Utah. Uh, unfortunately, he had a knee injury towards the end of the season and missed um, the last couple games. Yeah. Um, and so, it, you know, hopefully he'll he'll be back to his, to his true self uh, in, in 2020. Um, but Brian Thompson was was a deep threat for Utah for, for most of the season, um, as well as Jalen Dixon. Um, he's another guy. He, I think he's only 5'9", five, 5'8". Um, but but a little speedster, so that, I mean that's the one thing uh, I think with the offense is is on the wide receiver core everyone's coming back you know my, minus Damari Simpkins, um, so there is a lot of continuity uh, with with those receivers now. But now with a new quarterback, it will be interesting to see what kind of chemistry they can can develop. Um, I know you guys love Utah's passing attack and you love utah wide receivers (laughs) so we really it'll be really fun to kind of see what they can do because you're gonna have two quarterbacks uh rising and friendly that will stay in the pocket and want to throw the ball well to, to that point i think one of the things that made me so excited about utah this year was that at least it appeared that they were throwing the ball more. And I've been on the Utah Man podcast a number of times, and the thing I always hammer, it's my, you know, and Carthers must be destroyed, you know, Cato speech is basically like, and Utah must throw the ball more for them to compete for this conference. And it seemed like they did this year, and it was really fun to kind of see Huntley sling the ball down the field. And I loved Brian Thompson. I watched almost every Utah game this year and he immediately stood out as he started to emerge. I'm like, that guy is good. And that guy is exactly what this program needs. So I'm glad that you brought him up. I forgot that he got injured. So hopefully he heals a hundred percent by the, by the end of uh, the beginning of this coming season. Cause he was really fun to watch. So Cam, you said earlier that Utah fans have an expectation to win the South, which I find really interesting just because for me personally, I have USC as the clear favorite. But after that, it gets really murky because I think all of us on the podcast think that Arizona State is is overrated heading into uh, this upcoming season. 
But just looking at Utah's schedule, uh, it, the, I mean, non-conference, I mean, they start with the Holy War. They do have a road game at Wyoming, but I, I think Wyoming really overachieved this season. So I, I think it's not as tough as an, a, a non-conference slate. And then you guys miss Oregon, you miss Stanford, but it seems like this four-game stretch, the first four Pac-12 games you guys play, uh, Cal at Cal, then USC Friday night in Salt Lake, then at Pullman, and then and then you guys host Washington before the bye. That should give us a good gauge of, of where Utah uh, should be this season. But if, if you had to guess right now, what would you set Utah's win total at? Yeah, I, I, I honestly think if Utah can get to eight wins, I, I think that will be a very, very good season for them. You know, knowing all the question marks on the defense that they're going to have next year, you know, the question mark with the offensive line that we talked about, um, and really the question mark with the quarterback situation, if they can get to eight wins, I, I think Utah fans have to be happy about that. They should be happy. <laughs> I mean, there's, I think, I mean, like Utah is not a, I mean, and I say this because this is true of most college football programs. Like most college football programs don't reload. <clears throat> most college football programs are not Alabama, um, where you just roll out your next five star uh, player and, you know, they've been in the system, you know, enough that they're not starting as a freshman, you know, and you can just be great. Like Utah matured, you know, into this last season, which is a special season. I think Utah is going to have to, you know, develop a roster again, um, and it's going to take a little time and a little seasoning. I, I think that that Wyoming game is interesting. I mean, I'm from Wyoming. I also probably pay a little more attention to Wyoming than I should, um, like that, because it should be like Wyoming's offense has been terrible for years, but their defense has been really good. I mean, that that could be an interesting game for. Um, you know, where you're not going to get too much stress where you're breaking in your defense, but um, it could stretch, you know, be a bit of a stress on uh, on your offense going against that Wyoming defense, even without Logan Wilson. Well, I think um, it also states that, you know, a P5 going into a G5 program, I think those G5s really get up for those games. And hey, honestly, Missouri in Laramie who, last year. Oh, yeah. But who's excited to go to Laramie? Right, Rob like, is. As, <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I am. I mean, like, I, I'm always excited. Uh, no offense, Rob, no like, offense. I mean, the, no offense. the gem city of the plains. <laughs> I just when Utah was in the Mountain West, that was always like the worst road trip. Uh, was going to land. Two hundred feet. It is almost always cold. I mean, it is like almost always freezing cold. And we. So yeah, and so I don't, I don't think Utah will lose that game. Like I, I definitely would pick them to to beat Wyoming. But, you know, for all those reasons, you know, weird, weird things can happen. Hey, let's take let's take a quick break and then let's do a final round of questions, one each. And uh, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. But uh, again, and Cam, before we take that break, where can people subscribe to the Utah Man podcast? What's your Twitter handle? Anything you guys want to talk about that you're doing right now? Yeah. So Twitter, Instagram at Utah Man Podcast. You know, we're available everywhere. You listen to a, a podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and you can always go to our home at utahmanpodcast.com. 
You got an Instagram account, man. We're talking about professional. Come on, you're making us look bad. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's all pictures of Cam, so, you know, taste, tasteful nudes. Tasteful nudes. <laughs> if anybody followed my Instagram, they'd be like, this guy hardly ever uses it, and if he does, it's food. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, let's take a break right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We're going to do our final rounds of questions here. I'll kind of set the table, and then uh, let's do Max and Rob, and then we'll close it out here. One of the questions I had for you, uh, Cam, is, you know, we talk a lot about uh, your head coach, obviously, and just what he's been able to do, like Whittingham's record, uh, normally in bowls, you know, a couple scratches here and there, but for the most part, he's been amazing and just one of those coaches that has consistently put together teams that uh, compete one of the questions I had for you, though, is, you know, coaching isn't just from the, the top down. It also includes a lot of these position coaches and the defensive line and the secondary of Utah has been excellent. I would argue that the last two years, your linebacking core has been really solid, despite what appeared on paper to be a, a giant, giant question mark. Who are some of these position coaches that or or even the coordinators that fans that don't normally watch Utah should be focused on because uh, they're quite good. So Morgan Scally is the defensive coordinator uh, for Utah. And you know, he played in the program, uh, was a senior. Uh, well, Urban Meyer was here. Uh, he's a local kid um, to Salt Lake City. So he is, uh, you know, a, a true Ute through and through, an absolute fan favorite. Uh, he is really a, a coach on the rise. He's, he's a younger coach uh, for uh, for being a, uh, a coordinator. I know there was a lot of a lot of worry because uh, he was getting some head coaching um, calls this off season, and so Utah uh, gave him a new contract um, this off season to, to keep him here in Utah. And a lot of people are already counting him as the head coach in waiting. Uh, for hmm. Winningham, so uh, Morgan Scally's just uh, yeah, just really balls of the walls type coach, um, and 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 really plays up that defense um, very well. And so he, it definitely, um, if you, if you're not that familiar with Utah, that that's a coach you wanna wanna you know keep that name um, on the top of your mind because he he'll be he'll be making and making big money very soon. Uh, One thing that was really jarring for me this season for Utah is that the special teams were not elite. And was that expected coming into the season? And do you think that they'll bounce back to their usual, very strong form uh, this upcoming campaign? Um, So it was somewhat expected um, just because in spring and fall camp, uh, kicking was terrible. Uh, it was, it was bad. I remember one practice in, I, I think it was in spring and the, the, the field goal unit missed, I think three field goals in a row for only like 20 yards. 
and Kyle Winningham oh, no. went over and just ripped, <laughs> just ripped that team apart. And I will you know, hire Whittingham... so many Australians. <laughs> It'll make your head spin, guys. <laughs> Winningham, you know, doesn't, you know, he, he's 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 a, a church going guy, doesn't really use you know, the worst language. Um, but that was probably the worst I've ever heard come out of his mouth um, and really just kicked them off the field. Uh, it was, it was a sight to be seen to see it, to see, you know, a 97 pound kicker be, be kind of kicked off the field. Um, so going in, I, you know, they, the special teams was going to be a, a big area of concern and it really was. And I think that's one reason why Utah was so aggressive on fourth downs is because they just didn't have as much faith in their kicking game they've had in the past. Um, now going forward, you know, they, they did have two true freshmen as a kicker and a punter. Um, so maybe a year under their belt, um, they, they can kind of strengthen that and gain a little bit more confidence in it. Uh, but it's definitely going to be an, a, another big question mark in 2020. So I haven't looked at what BYU has coming back, but is this the year? Don't, you'll, you'll just throw up. No, no, no. But I mean, like they weren't bad. I mean, like they're uh, they're nowhere near where BYU fans often think they are. But um, like, is this the year that Utah fans are actually a little worried about the BYU game, given that it's the first game of the season and how much you guys lost off last year's team? You know that that's a, a great question. Um, I mean, obviously they've won nine straight against. BYU. Yeah. Um, it, it, BYU is going to get one, right? They're not, it, 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 it's going to happen. Um, I just, you never know. You never know. Have you Two no faith, ago, Cam? Have you no faith? They're never going to win. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when BYU was up by 31 points two years ago in the second half and Utah came back and won, I, you just never know. On paper, BYU is bringing back the much more experienced team. Um, but you, you know, I, I'm going to sound like an arrogant Utah fan. There is a big talent gap, um, between the two programs and, you know, I can BYU kind of get over that hump this year because Utah's inexperience. I, I, I really don't know. I, if it's the BYU team that showed up against Hawaii in their bowl game, Utah's going to crush them. And for whatever reason, uh, Kalani Sataki looks like Taz the wrestler from WWE. So every time I see him on there, it's like, where are your orange glasses and singlet, sir? Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it, it, it's ama- it really is amazing to be able to continue over and over and over again. Because there's been some decent BYU teams that have been fielded. But uh, Whittingham and the Utah program has just been able to, to keep them away uh, over and over again. It'll be interesting to see if they can uh, do it again next year. Um any questions for us, Cam? Uh, it's been it's always a pleasure having you on, and I know we do a lot of home and home, so it's always fun to go on your pod, and um, it's always good to have you on here. But any questions for us? Yeah, I really because you guys obviously you guys know the Pac-12 inside and out, um, and, and the depth of it a, a lot more than than what I do. But when you're looking at these teams, where do you guys? kind of giving an outside of, uh, of the state of Utah perspective, where do you guys see Utah fitting within this conference next year? Well, Max picked 67% against the spread this year. So, you know, he, he gets the, he gets the crown and gets to open with that question. <laughs> so I guess uh, for PAC 12 South expectations, like what I was saying before, 
I have USC as the clear favorite. I mean, they, they still have Clay Helton, so it's definitely not written in stone that they'll win the South. <laughs> but they return so much production. And I, I just I, I think the offense is going to be really damn good. And the defense, I mean, they just hired Todd Orlando, the uh, Texas defensive coordinator who was fired. But I still think that that's an upgrade over Clancy Pendergast. But I would be pretty surprised. I think USC is going to win nine to ten games next year. Um, and then second place. Uh, so a lot of people really think that Arizona State uh, can give USC a run for its money. But they, with with what they're losing on, on offense with, you know, Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk, and the offensive line was kind of a train wreck the entire season. And then defensively, like um, their line, like they, they didn't really generate much pressure at all on the quarterback. Uh, they do get a lot of uh, nice recruits, especially at wideout. But I'm really, I'm, I'm not sold overall on this Arizona State team. So I, I think that Utah can certainly uh, get second place in, uh, in the South. I, I get one team that I'm really interested to see is Colorado. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of their coordinators, but I do like what Mel Tecker has done, and they do have some uh, really intriguing incoming talent uh, coming in. But I would, I mean, looking at at Utah's schedule, I'd probably set their their Vegas like season win total. I'd probably have it seven seven and a half. Yeah, I agree. It, it seems like Utah has a chance at second place, but it might be behind by two games. Rob. Yeah, I mean, and I. <laughs> The only thing I'm certain of in the South is that I would have USC up top and I would have UCLA at the bottom. Um, and then the LA sandwich. Nice. Another player transfer, like another one. You got to cop. You got to copyright that. Oh yeah. The LA um, but beyond that, like I, I, there's a lot uncertain. I mean, I think if I don't, I, I I'm with Max and, and Brian and I are on the same page that People are overrating ASU. Their offense stunk last season, and that was with, you know, Ayuk and Williams and and Benjamin. Um, their defense was okay, um, not great. We'll see how they sort of mature into it, I guess you could say. But they were really like they were far better against the run than they were against the pass, and they have a lot to clean up against the pass. Um, Arizona is interesting to me because I just think Marcel Yates departing. Uh, I expect that defense to improve under Paul Rhodes. How much is a big question, but like they're so bad that they could they could make a big jump. And I think Grant Gannell, um, a lot of people that have watched tape, including the folks at Pro Football Focus, really like what they saw out of Gannell. So maybe that may be Arizona homerism, but um, they could be good. They could be decent next season. Um, Utah, Utah could be, Utah could be anywhere for me. And I <laughs> just, cause there's, there's just, there's so many players that we are going to see on this Utah team that we've barely ever seen in a Utah uniform before that are going to get a lot of reps. Um, and that is, uh, that, that just makes them really hard to project. Um, they've recruited better. Like you mentioned, um, I'd like to see the offensive line take a really big step forward, um, for that. Um, Colorado, I'm with Max. Like, I just, I don't think that offensive coordinator is, is a, was a particularly inspired hire. I think people that are projecting Colorado to do better, I find that odd because they lose most everyone that was any good on that offense, including Steven Montez and the best wide receivers. And they're like, yeah, Colorado is going to be better next year. I'm like, how, who <laughs> they, they stunk with those guys. Um, why? I mean, I, I like Washington in the North. 
I, or not Washington. I like Oregon. I like, I, I think Oregon made the best coordinator hire. Um, they return a lot of the defense. Washington's also bringing back a ton on defense. So good luck with them on the schedule <laughs> um, trying to move the football. But uh, yeah, I think, I think Oregon's, you know, like, a, you know, kind of a nose favorite uh, there um, up North, but the North that could be, you know, like it, I would, I would not be surprised. I mean, I wouldn't be that surprised if Cal won it, you know, like in the North too. Right on. Well, Cam, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Um, again, we're big fans of the Utah Man podcast. One of the things that I've noticed is that you guys are, um, you've, and you've always had access to the field, um, but you're posting these mini interviews with players on the basketball uh, court. And I think, I'm sorry, on football, and I think you're doing basketball now, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. We, we never had access at Arizona. They're like, get, get out of here. You don't like Sean Miller. You can't be part of this program. Um, so um, so if you're a Utah fan, definitely tune in. It's a great podcast. They do good work and and really crank during football season. So definitely a must listen. Uh, Max, what do you got going on at, uh, at Sports Illustrated? Yeah, just uh, Super Bowl, obviously, next weekend. So we're churning out all that content. Uh, college basketball best bets. I honestly, my, my best bets the rest of the way, it might just be Pac-12 home teams, and, and that's it. <laughs> uh, they, they've been on an absolute roll. The only the only Pac-12 team that lost against the spread this week at home was Oregon State twice in Corvallis when they lost uh, outright to UCLA and USC, but, and both times as favorites. Well, actually, well, I got, or um, for USC-Oregon, I got Oregon at, eight and i think that line closed at 10 yeah so close yeah yeah so closing line oregon didn't cover when they won by nine in overtime but at least for me it it won so yeah, good sorry on you. to everyone else i saw nine and a half and i just didn't bet it i'm like that's a little bit too much for a usc team that has some talent so yeah that, that, that's a good call um hey on sharp college football by the way we are gonna post an article on andy ludwig and uh, basically looking at all the advanced stats from utah's offense before he got there and after. So if you're a Utah fan, definitely check that out. And we're going to continue doing that for all of the coordinators uh, throughout the, the this offseason, which I found very helpful for me to kind of understand what's going on deeper in these teams. And of course, we are having all of our returning production from every team um, and departing production from every team, whether it's uh, seniors or transfers or NFL uh, early entrants. We have that all tracked. So hopefully that's a good resource for you as well. Um, Rob, thanks for coming on. Uh, how's Nerd Problem going? uh it's it's we have it up you can sign up uh june 13th and 14th cincinnati football and the open source football analytics conference is live so uh and i've got i'm going to present uh on some topics uh including on you know how to get started using python um as well as uh isolating the effective recruiting in college football there's uh, Andrew Percival, um, you know, who uh, does a lot of Washington stuff and does the metrics consensus is going to present on consensus models. A friend of mine is going to present on numerical optimization. My friend with a Ph.D. in applied math. Um, so, yeah, like there's a lot like sign up. Um, I've tried to make it as cheap as possible um, for everyone to go. Um, if you're interested in college football and analytics and, you know, trying to get deeper below like what the box score is telling you, um, it'll be a, a great time. Well, what so, kind yeah. of lunch are you providing? Uh, I have options. I don't have to sign that lunch contract. It turns out to like two weeks before. Nice. So we, nice. Can, we can vote on that. I just, <laughs> I put enough, aside, I put enough money aside in the ticket price to make sure and cover lunch and a t-shirt as well as admission. Uh, I pick Cincinnati because it's 
it's a fairly easy place to fly into. And as well as for folks that are doing analytics um, in the upper Midwest, and there's a lot of folks or the or the South, it's it's relatively drivable. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, looking forward to that. Thanks again for tuning in. Again, we're doing every week. We got to figure out who our guest is next week. We have a couple of people that um, we're really excited about talking to, but um, haven't quite hammered that out. But we will continue bringing on guests for each team and, uh, and also talk the conference in general. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you next week.